Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name is Tim. And this is Chris. This is Adam. And today, instead of a hot take review, we're going to talk about our top 10 games that have some toy factor. What does that mean? Well, we'll get into that in just a minute. But before we do, I had I asked a poll on Twitter, as I always do. If you don't follow us on Twitter, find us at BG underscore hot takes there. Every week I ask a poll. You can contribute to the poll results, and we'll talk about them on the show. And we'll read some comments from our listeners that respond there. So the poll I asked this week was related to conventions. Now, this week, Gen Con's happening. A lot of our friends that we follow in the board game space are traveling to Gen Con. It's in Indianapolis? Yeah, it's in Indianapolis. But uh, they're out there for Gen Con, which is one of the biggest conventions, I think the largest one in the United States, that happens every year. So I wanted to ask about that a little bit because personally, I've never been to a huge board game convention. I've been to a couple smaller ones, but I asked, do you attend board game conventions? And the options I gave, number one was yes, more than one per year. Two, no, yes, one per year. Number three was yes, occasionally. And number four was no. Of course, some people told me that I didn't get the right, give them the right options here. But um, what did you guys answer? How, have you been to any board game conventions or do you attend them regularly? Does BGHT con count? <laughs> yeah, it counts for me, but I, that's not what I had in mind, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of our like annual get together for playing lots of board games. So for me, it's a con. Yeah. I mean, it's a pro too, but it's a con as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, the answer for me is no, I haven't been to any of them, but not by any particular choice. I mean, I just haven't happened to have been to any, uh, largely because much of my gaming career so far has been taken up by COVID when they weren't really happening. But BGHT Con, absolutely. I'd like to. It's something that I think I would really enjoy doing. So the answer is both yes and no, I guess. I put no. I've never been. I'm a little timid of, you know, from big crowds. I'm not sure if I want to walk around in a giant arena with a bunch of strangers, especially now with COVID. And again, just like you, Chris, I didn't really start gaming at this level until shortly prior to coronavirus taking hold of everything. So, no, I haven't been to a con. I would go if I had a couple friends to go with. I think that would make the experience a lot smoother and a lot easier. I wouldn't feel like such an outcast um, walking around. So, yeah, I would go, but I've never been. What about you, Tim? I've been to some bigger conventions when I was playing Magic the Gathering years ago. I used to go just to play Magic all day. Um, I think I might have even been to Gen Con years ago. I'm pretty sure I was, actually. but just And I went and played Magic for like eight hours straight, and I never looked at the rest of the convention. But not in the way that you know we would want to see a board game convention today. So I have been to a local one. I'm, I live in Phoenix now, and Maricopa Con is a, is a local convention. It was Maricopa Con. Anyways, one of the local ones in Phoenix. That wasn't too huge. I'm kind of tempted to go to some of these bigger conventions. I, I'd like to try it out sometimes, but every time I think about, you know, spending time away from my family, traveling, taking some time off work, like we do twice a year, we do our BGHT Con, and I think I'd rather just spend, you know, a few days, four or five days hanging out with you guys, getting just tons of gaming in, no distractions. I love that experience so much. I'm not sure I want to spend a lot of time off traveling to one of these bigger cons. So I haven't chosen to do it yet. At some point, maybe I'll try it now that we're really kind of heavy into the hobby, starting to get to know a lot of people that are out there that might be at these conventions. It might be fun to meet some of these people that we talk to or even listen to. Um, so that could be fun. I should try it sometime, but I'm not sure. Maybe maybe in a year or two. Also, to be honest, I'm a little hesitant still. Like COVID's just flying everywhere. Chris, 
just told us tonight that he just caught it. I had it a few weeks ago, but like this new variant's going everywhere. I don't want to spread it. My daughter and wife still haven't caught it as far as they know, and I don't really want to spread it to them if I can help it. So I'm still just being a little cautious about huge gatherings at this point. I'm, I'm happy hanging out with you guys for four days, so maybe I'll stick to that for a little bit. Yeah, I'm not sure what I would do at one of these conventions either, Tim. I'm, you know, I'm sure I'd be overwhelmed by board games and see lots of board game people, but would I jump in these tables and just play games with other strangers? Would I go to some of the demos? I don't know. I, I'm just not sure what I would do that I can already do that's more fun with you guys or on like TTS or something. That's a good point, and it's funny hearing you guys talk about it. I think about these big pinball tournaments that I used to go to with my brother and I started to get to know some of the pinball people and but in reality what we would do is we would go and then we play in the competition then he and I would go off and play together for most of the time the rest of the time that we were there so I imagine if I went to a convention I'd probably want to play games with you guys most of the time (laughs) I went to the convention with you guys although I will say it would be a lot of fun meeting some of the listeners it's um see we have so many great people in the community I'd love to meet some of them Yeah, yeah that'd be the best part about it I think All right. Well, this is how people responded on Twitter. So 24.2% said yes, more than one per year. So almost a quarter of the people that responded go to multiple conventions a year. That's cool. So 16.4% said yes, one per year. 19% said yes, occasionally. And 40.5% said no, meaning they hadn't been to a convention, but a lot of people responded. Let me read some of the answers here because there's a few that are kind of a, a good sampling of what we heard. First, Mostly Harmless responded and said, I don't really fit any of these answers. No, I've never been to a board gaming convention, but I absolutely plan on attending at least one next year. And several people said that. Like, I didn't want to say no or I didn't say no, but I've never been to one, but it's not, but I plan to. So I should have had an answer in there that said not yet or no, but I'd like to or something like that. You know me with polls, though. Brian Chandler said, I got super excited to line up 2020 game events, then COVID hit, and I haven't felt comfortable yet to go. Yeah, man, people that got in the hobby in the last three or four years, we totally got nailed. We, we haven't got to have some of the, the normal experiences of gaming with large groups of people, and that sucks. Ridiculous Rain said, yes, more than one per year, always to spiel and one or two more local conventions. Reason is to shop and discover new games. I get the impression the European conventions are are more for shopping and the North American ones are more for gaming. Is that so? I don't know. We can't really answer that because we've never been to many cons, but um, maybe that's maybe that's legit. I definitely, I don't think I would go to a to convention just to shop. Like maybe it's because we're in the United States, but it feels like there's a just such a huge amount of games that you could buy easily, sometimes at a discount. Um, so shopping for games isn't super exciting. Maybe trying out some new ones that were like just about to hit the market. That could be really fun to try some things before other people hadn't. But generally, like the last time I did go to a local con, I just found a bunch of games in their library that I always wanted to try and never had a chance to. So I played a bunch of like three, five, ten-year-old games. I didn't really play anything new at all. So I think for me, yeah, I would just be for gaming primarily. That is uh, going to wrap up our poll on gaming conventions. Let's talk about Toy Factor in games. Let's start by kind of describing what that means. Now, for for me, when I hear the the term Toy Factor, when I think of Toy Factor in games, I literally think of like, what makes me think of toys? When when I've got a game set up on the table and my, you know, seven-year-old and eight-year-old kids' friends come over, and they're the ones that they're like, ooh, can I play with that? You can see their hands. They're trying to touch that, even though they know I'm going to slap their hand if they, if they reach over there. But you know they want to touch it. Like, that's toy factor. It's the ones that make those, you know, that make kids, like, excited to play with them. They want to start moving the figures around and stacking up the blocks and, and do the stuff that you would do with normal toys. So when I think of toy factor, that's what I think of. Does that 
describe Toy Factor for you as well? I mean, that's pretty much it. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think also there's an element of when I see something set up, does it bring me back to like when I'm a kid? Does it give me that joy, that same joy of like a new toy and a new discovery? Like, oh, wow, look at So a part of it is the experience of making me feel like I've just received a new toy from the store and I open it up and there's these little things I can move around. So yeah, the feeling is a big part of it for me as well, not necessarily the components. Do you Does Toy Factor, does that seem like a positive when you hear Toy Factor, when you think of Toy Factor in a game, is that a positive for you or is it a, potentially a negative or is it indifferent? It just depends on the game. Like, does, does Toy Factor make a difference in your experience or your enjoyment of a game? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because one of the things that I was going to talk about once I get into my picks for this list was how it can vary, that there are some places where the toy that goes into the toy factor is really heavily integrated into the game. And I think that can be great. And there's some where it feels just sort of slapped on and that's not as great. You may have a great toy, but if it's not put to good use, then that's just not that exciting. Yeah. It sends up a kind of a cautionary flag for me when I hear toy factor, what I'm going to think is that just a gimmick is it gimmicky or is it well incorporated? Does it, does the game actually take advantage of this toy and, is it a functional part of the game? I think that's what I look for. And if it's kind of incorporated well, then I appreciate a little extra toy factor because, yeah, I want to play with my with my little dolls, my little G.I. Joe guys and run around and do fun stuff. So that's what I think about when I hear Toy Factor mentioned alongside a, a board game title. Yeah, like I, I don't know that Toy Factor, when I hear the term that it makes me excited about the game, but I will say that out of my 10 picks today, all of them, I think, were an improved experience because of the toy factor. I think the toy factor makes the game stand out a little bit, and I probably enjoyed the game a little bit more because of the toy factor in them. Um, but I think there are definitely also some some games where, like you said, toy factor is just kind of slapped on, or it's like something that's completely unnecessary. Maybe it gets in the way. I've even got an example here where part of the toy factor got in the way, and part of it was made an improvement. So those can be a challenge, but definitely sometimes it can improve it for me. Let's jump into our top 10 games with toy factor, and I think this is going to be a pretty interesting and diverse list because it kind of touches on some things that I don't usually talk about in my top 10 list. So I'm excited to go through this. Yeah, I'm dying to hear these lists too, because I mean, we have such different versions of fun when it comes to games in a lot of ways. Obviously, we like some of the same games, but you know, Tim has a very different reaction to big pieces of plastic than I do. So this is going to be interesting. And just, you know, since I'm talking about that, I mean, Toy Factor to me, even though, like I said, there can be some ups and some downs in how that gets integrated into a game, as a default, I mean, I love big production and I love storytelling and toys help with that. And so my default is if it's got a really good toy, that's probably going to help. But so anyway, let me jump into the list. So my number 10 is a bit of a dark horse for me. It's a game that I don't talk about nearly as much as I should, even though it's a very fun game. And that's Mechanica, designed by Mary Flanagan, Emma Hobde, and Max Seidman, and published by Resonim Games. Mechanica is a game based on the concept of you are running a mechanical factory creating robot vacuum cleaners. There's also some kind of a subtext in there about they're getting ready to take over the world or something like that. And you build out this factory with these puzzle pieces and there's these adorable little plastic knobby little robot vacuum cleaners that go into your board, into your factory and move along it and into these trucks to get shipped off to factory, excuse me, to get shipped off to the stores. 
But the big toy centerpiece of this game is when you open the box, you don't unpack it. There is this big wheel, the factory wheel, that turns as you play. And the pieces that you can buy to put into your factory that create new opportunities or benefits in your factory to create different things all come off of this factory board. And when a piece rotates, then it gets cheaper. So if somebody doesn't buy a piece, it rotates the next turn and it becomes a little bit cheaper until it gets to the end. And then it drops through this hole into the box and is gone for good. And there's nothing plastic here other than those little robot pieces. This is just a big cardboard disc that rotates with these pieces on it. But man, does it bring me back to things like when I was a kid, this idea of the big rotating, the pieces dropping through it. I mean, it is it is so fun to play. And it, it's tacked on to a pretty good game. This is a really fun, medium-weight game where the, the combination of that disc, the plastic pieces, and these puzzle piece-shaped items that you literally put together a puzzle that makes up your factory. There's so many little bits and pieces of puzzly, toy gamey stuff in there that it's just, it's so much fun to play. It's actually, when I was looking up the stuff for this list, I was looking at this game going, how come I don't play this one more often? Because I really do enjoy it. But for some reason, I just, I just don't get it to the table often enough. So this is actually a great reminder to me to go and play Mechanica more often. Chris, I'm looking at this game on uh, on Board Game Geek, looking at some pictures here, and it looks so fun. Like you said, you pull off the lid of the box, and there's everything right there. This giant, I don't know, it looks like an old rotisserie phone, rotisserie chicken. What am I trying to say? The rotary phone is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Yeah, it looks like an old rotary phone where you're going to put your finger in there, you're going to slide it around, and that just looks so cool to me. And it's got that art that I think you're a big fan of, kind of the mid-mod futuristic uh, Jetsons artwork thing going on so yeah i've only heard of this game i think when you mention it and it's not often that you mention it and i've looked at it a few times and it does look pretty neat to me i'm excited to try this one this is a game i played a couple times with chris and this is a great example because it's not about a big plastic actual toy but it's about i think sometimes the toy factor is like being able to interact with the components in a way that is tactile and that makes you feel like you're kind of moving something around and this does feel like a toy this game is uh it's interesting i've, I've enjoyed my couple plays with it. it always felt a little bit i think the pacing's a little weird it's a little slow paced and and the rules are a little bit clunky in a way where i always feel like we're halfway through the game and i'm not even sure if i'm playing right i think we have um but other than that it's really it's a pretty interesting game and it's it's clever a little bit of a race element to getting the best point value robots that you're trying to purchase and very cool toy factor in this game. My number 10 game is a bit of a stretch, but I think I can convince you guys and bring you over to my side on this. This is Baseball Highlights 2045. Designed by Mike Fitzgerald. No, you can't convince me on this one. <laughs> hear him out, hear him out. <laughs> and uh, Eagle Griffin Games. And yeah, I, I hear you, Tim. Like You just see a few lone little pawns and some cards and some mats. But then you look at the mat, and it's a little baseball diamond. And you look at these pawns, and there's the white, the blue, and the red, the fast, the, the medium, and the slow runners. So first of all, I get this kind of, out of 1950s, 1960s feel from this game. And it reminds me of like the backside of, those, of a dart board, how it has the baseball diamond on there, and you're throwing darts at these little baseball, kind of playing baseball in a way like that. And then I think of... The toys are around in the 50s and 60s, and I'm like, oh, it reminds me of those 
football games. You plug it into the to the two twenty, and these guys would shake around and try to score a touchdown. You try to throw the ball to one of these guys, and the fuse would pop, and you have to change all the lights in the neighborhoods. Or you know, like a, a hoop on a stick type of thing. That's like with the toys that they had back in these days. So this game gives me that feel. And then now you look more into it. You have this baseball diamond that's right in front of you. And anytime you get these batters up and they get a hit or a single or a double or whatever, you put them next to home plate. And then when you get to activate them, you get to move them around the bases. So it's like a, kind of like a little video game. You're controlling these little pawns, running around the bases. You're putting a pitcher or a batter right in the middle of this diamond. So for me, it gives me the sense of a little baseball diamond in front of me. And I'm controlling these runners and bat- and it feels like a little toy with these guys running around the bases and like I'm actually executing some form of baseball. So I think the whole production here and the whole feel of it makes me feel like I'm playing just a super fun game and a super fun toy. So Tim, did I bring you over to my side? You, you did. You did, actually. As soon as you started talking about it, I was thinking back of like the types of toys that kids would have played with in the 40s or 50s, like little wooden pegs on things. And it, this feels just like that. Like, hey, I'm playing a game of baseball. It's like it's like an early version of foosball, where it's just like the peg figures on the little on the little sticks that you're pulling back and forth. That's what this game feels like totally. when you're playing it. So totally, totally get that. Man, forget <laughs> the 40s and 50s. Think about the 80s. I mean, at first, I was a little bit skeptical too, Adam, but man, you sure did bring me around too. And I'm totally thinking of something like what you were talking about, those old vibrating, you know, football toys and that I used to see in the Sears catalog. I still don't know what the hell they do or how they work, but man, they sure did look cool. And this, when I'm looking at the picture of this game, I can absolutely see what you're talking about. And it totally brings me back. All right. Well, my number 10 is, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys, to give me a little leeway here. Cause I'm also going to start a little light. Listen, a little foreplay before we really get into the action. And I wanted to talk about a game that's a little approachable. This is Splendor by Mark andre and Space Cowboys. Now, Splendor is not a favorite game of mine. It's a simple little engine builder that I'm a little tired of after all the plays. But when I was thinking of games with Toy Factor, one of the first games I thought of was the, the chunky plastic chips that are in Splendor. A lot of people compare them to poker chips. I think that's kind of what they're intending here. But what they remind me of is this little plastic bank I had when I was a kid and the the plastic coins, these chunky plastic coins that went with it. And it just feels like you're playing with a toy. And for a game of this cost, and you know, it's a fairly simple to get into, but the one thing that makes it enjoyable is that you've got these big chunky chips that you're playing with. So to me, this game feels like it's got just enough toy factor to keep it entertaining to bring people into the hobby. I think Splendor is a great introduction to hobby board games and the toy factor is a part of it. It's a minor toy factor, but I think it works here. A little bit of leeway, huh, Tim? (laughs) The last thing in the world I want to do is harsh your mellow, but I don't, I don't see it, but I haven't also played, I haven't played Splendor. So maybe, maybe I'm just not seeing it. I'm open to it. Foreplay, Chris, foreplay. Well, you're setting the bar low here for the rest of your list here, Tim. So that's you're, you're doing some great expectation management. But I can kind of see it. You got the chips. It's hard to argue with chips and clickety-clankety. And these gems are super huge and chunky. So, yeah, I can see a little bit about what you're talking about. So, all right. Also, the last time you'll ever hear me mention Splendor in a top 10 <laughs> So. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to number nine here. And it's one that I think I'm going to get some groans about. So bear with me on this because we're talking about toy factor, not playability. My number nine is Windward 
Designed by Daniel Aronson, Hayden Lapiska, and Nick Tompkins, and published by Play oh, Monster God, Games. Chris. Hey, I told you. I told you. <laughs> now, this is a game that, for all of its trouble in the playability department, has one of the most impressive out-of-the-box presentations that I have seen. And you guys have not seen the physical copy of this game, and you should. Because it's absolutely amazing. I think $50 I paid for this box. It's got figures and pieces on par with, say, Eclipse, which is a really impressive game. It's got colored minis. It's got these big, beautiful uh, cardboard circular mat with the play field. It's got the different levels of ships, the ships that fly high and the ships that fly low. And the big, these crestors, these whale monster things that are flying around in the skies. It is a beautiful freaking game. And I'm not I'm not standing up for it in the playability department. Again, I'm not I'm not getting into that. I'm just talking about the straight looks of this game, which is probably one of the reasons why I feel so forgiving about it. Why I want to keep going back to it because I want to have this game sitting on my table. It's so pretty and so cool looking that I mean, man, it just it's like this big old tabletop toy. I just want to play it, but then I play it and then I realize I just didn't really want to play it. I just want to look at it. Yeah, I hear you, Chris. I'm looking at pictures again and the the minis and everything just look fantastic. The way they're organized in the tray looks freaking great. So I can't argue with you. It does look like a fun toy to get into. It's just uh, that's kind of where it ends. Windward is a great example of why people look down on toy factoring games. Boo. Okay, another one for me, my number nine, might be a bit of a stretch, but I absolutely love it. It's PAX Premier 2nd Edition. I've talked a lot about this one before. First of all, you open it up, the game board is a cloth mat. Uh, I guess not that many people play with cloth mats for toys, but let me keep going. (laughs) 1980s, though. 1980s, 1980s. You've got these, I don't know what they're made of. They feel like clay, pink and green and yellow, rectangular cube box things that represent either roads or armies just those alone like i want to hold those the whole entire game and manipulate they're just one of my favorite components ever they almost look like sidewalk chalk in color but you know you don't want to be messing around with these out on the cement trying to grind these down no you want to keep them pristine and great because they are absolutely amazing and then you've got the little point tracking wooden tokens that are around the outside of this beautiful geometrically perfect score tracker that has this neat traditional Arabic design. And then you've got the control tokens that are these wooden, I don't know, flat. Now they have ones with a contrast in them. So everything for this game, it just pops the marker that represents what's the current Trump suit. That's a beautiful like minaret looking thing. Everything about this game has that tactile sense. You want to hold it, you want to touch it, you want to keep looking at it because the details are just so fantastic. It gives me such joy just handling the components of this game. I had to include it on my favorite games with Toy Factor. Maybe this Toy Factor is a little bit more elegance than some of the others, but I certainly appreciate it. That's PAX Premier. Second edition, Cole Worley and Worley Gig Games. Pax Premier Second Edition is the driest <laughs> toy you'll ever play with. L- looking at those cool Easter egg pastel colored pieces, man, I'm not sure if I want to play with them or eat them. <laughs> they look really tasty. They look like a Laffy Taffy kind of feel to them. Yeah. All right. My number nine is a game that many of you have probably never heard of. I don't think either of you have played this. This is called Lords of Zidit. Uh, this was 
designed by Regie Bonasse and published by Libelude. Lords of Zidit is an interesting game. It's a programming game. So the first toy is the, the toy that you're handling the whole game, and it's little set of dials. It's five dials where you're programming your actions for that round. And so that on its own is a little bit of an interactive toy, a little bit kind of like the Mechanica piece that Chris was talking about, where you're moving these little dials around and setting them to hidden information thing. The rest of the production just feels toy-like. It feels like a 1980s cartoon to me. Like the, the artwork is all just very cartoony fantasy type of artwork. All the little components, you're kind of picking up these characters and moving around and trying to set them in certain places on the board to defeat monsters. And these characters are bright colors. They're, they're, they're funny, cartoony little plastic pieces that feel like little toys. And then there's places where you put coins in these things and it's little boxes that you're putting coins in to hide how much you've, you've gained, how many points you've gained over the course of the game. I knew this was the topic we were doing. This was a, one of the first games that came to mind. It's just a game that feels fun to play. It feels like a toy in a way. The funny thing is the game's kind of grindy. It's not as fun as it looks, but the toy factor definitely made me want to play it and probably added to my enjoyment of it in some ways. Hey, Tim, is this one of the games that was in that big cache that you and I got from secondhand? Yep, it was. Yep. Okay. And I got a chance to play it a couple times. I brought it out to work and played it with my team at work, six players. Some of the people we played with loved it. I just found that it, it started to get a little bit redundant, a little bit slow. Interesting game, though. Had some really cool stuff going on. Probably my favorite endgame scoring mechanism, or one of them of all time. It's an interesting mechanism where you kind of had three goals you were working towards. And some of the information was hidden about these goals. But as you kind of looked at the end game, you'd start from left to right. And if you were the last two people out of the, when it was six people playing, if you were one of the last two people there, you just got knocked out. You couldn't score the rest of it. So you had to at least get enough of score in this one area to make it past that point. Then you go to the second goal. And if you're one of the two people remaining that didn't score the highest in that, you just get knocked out. And then you have to be the one who scored the highest in the third goal in order to actually win the game. So it was this really interesting balance of like, I want to be high in that final goal so that I can win the game, but I have to do well enough in these other ones to make it past those thresholds. Really cool scoring mechanism. Some other fun stuff going on too, and, and great toy factor in it. I know we're only at the sixth game in the list, but this one more than any of the others, I think if I saw on the table be like oh what is that that looks like a fun toy to play with i want to go mess around with that and see what that's all about yeah this one from art to production to little characters and figures this one looks fun yeah i remember when we had that one sitting i think it was in, sitting in my garage for a while we never played it but man it sure looked cool it's it definitely has what i would consider some serious toy factor to it yeah and the reason chris we never ended up playing it was because it's a three player minimum oh, and so yeah. it was one game okay. where we wanted to play it, but you and i were playing a lot of two player games and so we just never got it to the table yeah so okay yeah you have to it's like three to six players gotcha well going from the uh, ridiculous with windward to the sublime here's another one that uh, you guys have heard me talk about many times i don't think i'm going to get any complaints on this one my number eight is Scythe, designed by Jamie Stegmeier and published by Stonemeyer Games. So there is a, a break point here in how I look at some of the toy factor, and this game sort of falls on one side and some other games on the other. And that is there are games that have some really cool miniatures to them. And miniatures are one of the most basic ways that we insert toy factor into board gaming. And you can do it in terms of both the cleverness of the individual pieces and you can do it in terms of the size of them, the number of them. There's so many different factors. Now, with Scythe, I think Scythe is such a beautiful game overall. The production, 
everything about it is awesome. There aren't that many big pieces that create Toy Factor in this game, but the ones that are there are absolutely awesome. The mechs that you play with, they're different for each faction. They all have character to them. They're incredibly fun to look at. If you spend the $5,000 or whatever it is to get the painted metal <laughs> minis like Tim did, then you're, you're really going to you have some toys to play with. But even in the base game, you end up with these really cool mechs. And to me, half of the fun is I just want to get those mechs out on the table. You know, I don't even care if it's going to help me in my game. I just want to get those out there because they're so much fun to play with. And the other is your character, your leader. I don't know forget what we call them in Scythe. But they are so cool and, again, have so much. They're big and they have character to them. You got, like, the Russian lady with, like, a tiger or something. And there's a guy with a bear. And there's, like, these big, crazy-looking characters with their animal sidekicks. Same thing. I just love it every time I get to put my hand on the table, pick that thing up, and move it from one spot to another. So, really, they're only talking about two things there. We're talking about some mechs and we're talking about your player character, but that's enough to me to say that Scythe has some pretty serious toy factor to it. And that's putting aside all the great art and everything else. But just in terms of the toys, that's enough to get it to number eight on my list. Chris is a great choice here. Another thing that I think you're maybe overlooking is the realistic resources that you can get for this game too. They have these like chunks of metal. It looks like you're in Fort Knox stacking up all this, I don't know, silver ore. Or I don't forget what they call it in the game. And then you've got these bags of wheat that are available and they're just like these old school bales, you know, of wheat stuffed in this bag and there's wheat sticking out the top. And what are the others? These oil drums. And I forget there's one more other one. And then the coins too, the clinkety clack of these different colored coins, one for each faction. And you're looking on this, oh, this purple one with a hole in the middle is from this faction. And this other one's from this faction. There's so much to look at and discover here. Even the, It's a playful game. There's all these Easter eggs on the map too, I believe. So yeah, great choice here uh, and a fun game. Yeah, and you're absolutely right, Adam. This is actually something that I had thought about was whether to include those. And I didn't just because they're not stock. They don't come with the base game. But without a doubt, I mean, I feel like everybody who who has Scythe, who doesn't mind spending a few extra bucks for it, ought to have those. And you're right. It really does kick it up a notch and it enhances the game and creates a lot more toy factor. This was a great pick and it would have made my list if it wasn't on yours, Chris. And, and for all the reasons you said, it's not just about having minis, but it is about the the variety in the minis and the story that they tell. And I think that's part of the, the charm of this game is that it's a Euro game, but you're telling a story about moving out and exploring, going to these little spots and, and having an encounter and, and telling a story and moving to the factory and trying to steal the best tech from it. But these toys, they're part of telling that story, and you couldn't do it the same way with cardboard pieces. Scythe is a great example of Toy Factor, I think, improving a game and making making it more fun to play with. My number nine. Number eight. It's going to start a trend of spaceships on a stand. Zia, Legends of a Drift System. First of all, you open this box, and you see all these pre-painted little tiny spaceships well, not all of them are tiny. Some of them are tiny, and that's part of the fun of it. You can upgrade. You start at level one little dink spaceship. You upgrade to level two spaceship. It's a little bit bigger, and it can hold a little more stuff. And then you can upgrade to this kind of massive, relatively massive level three spaceship. It can hold all kinds of stuff or fly across the galaxy or do all these different things. So that's fun to me. The pre-painted spaceships that all come with these stands flying around the galaxy. Additionally, you've got all these Tetris-like little pieces that you get to put in your spaceship 
You want to transport some goods? Throw that in your spaceship. You want to arm it with some missiles? Put that. Where is it going to fit? You have to organize it in your spaceship. Then I talked about the coins in sight. This game has one of the coolest currencies out there. It's these triangular-shaped coins and dummies of like 1,000 and 5,000, and they're like blue and silver and gold, and they just have all these different textures on it. It looks like some real craft when you're making these coins and all the components in the game has such a unique feel, such a great production. The artwork's fun. And that's why this game is my number, what are we on, number eight? That's why this game is my number eight for Toy Factor. That's Zia, Cody Miller, and Far Off Games. Right on. I've actually never see, even seen this game. I don't know. I have any idea what you're talking about or what they look like, but you made it sound made it sound fun to play with. So that's good Toy Factor. Same here. Just looking at the pictures online, and man, there's nothing wrong with ships on stands being a you know a basic toy. I mean, that is a toy, right? Heck yeah. I, and I can totally see it here. All right. Well, with my number eight, I'm going to talk about some ships that aren't on stands. I'm going to talk about a game that has a pretty minimal production, but I think does have some components that give it some toy factor, and that's Pan Am. This is by Prospero Hall and Funko Games. This game is mostly just a cardboard board, some cardboard player uh, pieces, some cards, but then there's these great little colored plastic airplanes of different sizes, different sizes of airplanes from the 50s, like a you know two-engine plane and a big jetliner and stuff like that. And I can't think of anything more when I think back of like little kids playing in the 50s with their toys of having little toy airplanes. And this game just adds that with this little tiny component. And I think it, I think it just makes it that much better. So this is my number eight Pan Am. Man, what can I say? I mean, that is a perfect example of how personal the toy factor is. When you said Pan Am, my first thought was not a lot of toys there. But as soon as you start describing it, I'm thinking about those model airplane kits that I played with as a kid and those pieces that just they, they look like something you want to walk or instead of putting them on the board you want to walk in and kind of fly them around the room and you know i don't know dive bomb somebody or whatever but they're just so cool and they add so much fun to the game and in a way that a chit couldn't and that to me is a pretty good reason to have it on the list tim this one almost made my list as well because the whole production you you've got these little airplanes which you're like oh those are cool and then you look at the map and then you look at all these cards, the destination cards, they're all travel posters from back in the day. That gives me this sense of wonder and being able to explore the world with these retro classic looking airplanes. This game does it for me. I'm so glad you picked it because uh, it wasn't on my list, but I was very close to picking it. All right. Well, moving on to number seven is the one game on my list that I haven't actually played before. And so I can't speak to the playability of the game but the toy factor is so epic that I had to include it in here. And who knows, depending on when, if I played it, I may really dislike the game or I may think it's amazing. And maybe it would have been higher on my list if I'd actually played it. But my number seven is Fireball Island, The Curse of Vulcar, designed by Rob Davio, J.R. Honeycutt, Justin Jacobson, Chuck Kennedy, Bruce Lund, and published by Restoration Games. This like so many of the Restoration games, is a reproduction of a classic game. This one from 1980s, I believe 1986. And it has this big three-dimensional board where you move around the board and out of the top, there's this big temple skull head monster thing that I'm not even sure exactly what it is, 
but the fireballs of Fireball Island come out of this head. And they're these big marbles that roll down the board and down these various paths that you find yourself moving around the island on. And if one of the fireballs happens to hit your character, then bam, you're in trouble. So just looking at it, I mean, it's entirely 3D, which is pretty rare for a modern board game. And I think just looking at it, it looks like the kind of thing that I would love to play. I would love to try out. Again, I mean, it's got a 6.8 rating on BGG, which to me says maybe not the most awesome gameplay, but I don't know. Haven't played it. I actually seen plenty of posts on Twitter, people talking about this game, saying they really like it, especially like playing it with their kids. And I mean, really, that's what Toy Factor is all about, right? That's what we started with. It's the kind of thing that makes your kids want to pick it up and play with it. And I can't imagine a game that would be more exciting to a kid to sit down and play than Fireball Island. Chris, I would love to agree with you on this game. This was one of my first Kickstarters that I ever went in on. And I was so disappointed when this game arrived. I opened it up. I got the components out. They were, first of all, the island was made out of these flimsy, plasticky thing. I was like, oh, I wish that was a little more chunkier and solid and then you pull out some of the plastic things and they kind of dink around your little characters yeah you can move those around and then volcar the big volcano that you drop this stuff down that was okay and the marbles kind of roll around and they just kind of plink to the bottom before you know it uh, you don't get to really watch them bounce off this thing and bounce off this thing oh is it gonna hit my guys it's coming down here it comes no it's just like bloop. there they go they're down at the bottom and it may i think it tapped my guy yeah i guess it did tap my guy my guy jumped over here now so it looks like this should be, and that's why I went in on it, the promise of an epic toy that I could play with with my daughter. So I did. I got it out for my daughter, and she was like, yeah, that's kind of fun, and this jewel's pretty neat, and these marbles are pretty, but I don't want to play this game, and you know, I want to go hide this jewel somewhere. See ya. <laughs> uh, and that's about as much fun as we got out of the game. I sold this one early on. A bit of a disappointment for me. Oh, that makes me so sad to hear. Sounds like more toy and less game in that one. Well, my number seven is also a game that I haven't played, and this is a game I recently pledged for on Kickstarter. This game is Skyrise, and it is designed by Gavin Brown and published by Roxley Games. I don't know if you guys have looked at this one, but you're building a city up in the clouds. It's on this platform, and you've got these mega chunky, mega plasticky, pieces that you're putting on there they have a wash on them and you're putting these out on top of this i don't know if it's like a levitating city somehow or it's on a stand but it's way up in the clouds and the whole board is on this thick chunky plastic thing as well that you put these different city tiles onto and that's what the buildings go on on top of that the production looks fantastic i'm a little bit enamored with Roxley Productions at the moment. It looks like a lighter game with some auctioning. So I don't know much about the gameplay, but the toy factor drew me in and I think it's a little bit lighter and it might draw newer people into, which I'm planning on inviting some people over eventually at some point in the future of my life that are non-gamers. And I think this might lure them in with a look and the appeal, especially if the gameplay is reasonable. That Skyrise. Are you guys taking a look at this one? What do you think? Yeah, I looked at it, and it, it's actually pretty cool, the toy factor and the fact that it's not just, like, you know, plastic components and construction, but, like, the boards themselves seem to be, like, big plastic platforms that you play stuff on. Seems over the top. 
that sometimes that's what Toy Factor is all about. Now, this game actually re-implements an older game called Metropolis that I'd heard some pretty good things about. So it sounds like you know you got some classic gameplay that's now been brought up and you know uh, made a little bit flashier, maybe like Roxley did with Brass even. So uh, definitely seems like it's worth a play, worth a try. Interesting that you said this is a re-implementation of Metropolis because I'm just looking at this here. And there's, I'm not sure if it's a character board or whatever, but one of the characters is uh, Fritz Lang, <laughs> who was the director of the movie Metropolis, which is uh, circa 1929, 1930, somewhere in there. Yep. And I part, part of this game that I think is so cool is that this weird, I'm not sure exactly what the era is, if it's 1920s or Victorian era, retro-futuristic. It just looks so cool. And to me, this looks like a perfect example of when, you know, too much just isn't enough. And I don't think it looks over the top at all. I think it looks amazing. Chris, I have to ask, since you just mentioned Fritz Lang, one of my favorite classic directors, but did you ever see M, my favorite of his movies? No, I don't think so. Okay. It's like the the original crime thriller. It's like a movie that was made in like 1929, and it feels like it could be a police crime thriller from like the 50s or 60s or 70s or something like that. It's, Great, great film. So you got to check it out if you're a Fritz Lang fan. Nice. Got to add that to the watch list. All right. So my number seven is a newer game, a game that we've talked about a lot on this show, and that's Tapestry by Jamie Stegmeier and Stonemeyer Games. Um, you know, Stonemeyer Games is known for their great productions and stuff, but I think Tapestry just takes it over the top. It, it's, it's a Euro game, a civilization-building game with lots of cards, some plastic shits and things like that. But the toy factor comes in the fact that there are these buildings that you can you can pick up over the course of the game, these landmark buildings, and they're large minis that are all painted. They're painted versions of buildings, and they're just so fun to handle, like so unnecessary. You basically, what happens when you collect one of these buildings, you put it on your capital city mat, which fills in a grid. It's kind of like a little tetramino puzzle. Um, or polyamino puzzle or whatever the right num name is for that. Um, but instead of cardboard chits, they've got these big 3D buildings and they're all pre-painted and they're just so cool looking and so fun to handle and so fun to put on your board and look at this 3D city when you're done with the game that's fully populated with these buildings. So I had to mention Tapestry for bringing painted minis, something, it's not just great plastic, I don't have to paint it, they're easy to differentiate into a very approachable game. Yeah, I would have mentioned this one myself if it hadn't been for the fact that I talk about tapestry so much. I feel like I needed to add some <laughs> diversity into my, my collection here, but great choice, great choice. Yeah, Tim, I can't argue with that. I think you had this one set up one time I came over. All the little, um, on the player mats, all those little guys too that you get to move off and add to your city as well. And those are the unpainted ones. But even those, you're like, wow, these are pretty neat. But then you reach over and you get to grab one of these honking pre-painted things and stamp it on your city. It feels so nice. It just has that nice little toy factory appeal for sure. A little background on this game, too. If I understand right, the reason this game was even created was Jamie Stegmeier had seen little handmade sculpts, little clay sculpts of some upgraded components for board games done by this this one designer. I think it's... Uh, he's listed as the as the the sculptor on the game. I, I don't remember his name offhand. I don't have it listed here. But um, he had seen some of these sculpts online, and he's like, how could I make those into a game? And so he literally started thinking through a, a game where you would have a city, where you would have buildings in it. And then he commissioned the artist to create these little 3D sculpts, and they turned them into plastic minis and painted them. And that's where Tapestry came from. And I think that's a really cool story. And the fact that that, that artist got on board and 
you know, gave us all these great little minis. That's great. And they are such fun little minis too. I mean, they have so much character to them. All right. Well, that brings me to my number six. And so a little bit of a spoiler here. My six, five, and four are all games that fall into that zone of big minis and lots of them. Before we talked about Scythe, which is a game with some really exceptional minis, but not that many of them. These are the three games where you just kind of toss them out there and they're just all over the board. And that's half of the fun of the game. And so really these three games could have probably gone into my list in any order because they're all exceptional and they all have a very large volume of minis. So I just kind of arbitrarily put them in this order. Uh, Maybe the mood that I was in at the time, but my number six is Nemesis, designed by Adam Kopinski and published by Awaken Realms Games, which should come as no surprise to anybody who's listened to me talk about board games. I love the figures that they create for Awaken Realms Games. I think that they're exceptional. I think they're fun. I think they add character. I think they're immersive. And Nemesis is absolutely right there in that same that same category. Those giant characters, the aliens moving around the ship, the uh, the player the player figures that you're moving around the ship, all of this stuff creates such an immersive atmosphere. I mean, they're frightening. The aliens in this thing are actually kind of frightening, and that's great. I think Tim mentioned when we did our review of this how the sizing was so nicely done where you had these towering monsters, you know, looming over you as you're trying to escape or fight them or run them over with your wheelchair or punch them or whatever it is we were trying to do that, that got us, uh, mo- some, well, not all of us killed, but you know, the, they're, they're so impactful and they're so clever and there's so much artistry to these pieces and there's so many of them on the board. So by the time you finish, you know, halfway through a game of Nemesis, there is a fully populated board out there that looks like you're in the middle of a movie, and to me, that is a huge win, and that, to me, is a, exactly the kind of thing we're talking about when we get into Toy Factor, and one of the reasons I like Awaken Realms games so much, because they do so much of that, but this game deserves to be at number six, maybe even higher. Yeah, the minis here are fantastic, Chris. I think one little detail that puts it over the top for me is the base of the minis. They're all on this kind of graded, it looks like what might be in a spaceship, like a metal grate that you're walking around on, clinking around on in a spaceship. You can imagine these guys trying not to make noise as they're walking through the spaceship. I love it. The minis bring me in. You're absolutely right, Chris. This would be one of the scariest toys I ever played with if I was a kid. But I, I have to say, I, I agree with you on this. And, and I think this the scaling of the minis really does add a, a terror factor. If it didn't have the toy factor, it would take away a little bit. So I think Waken Realms did a great job with how they scaled the minis and detailed them and actually made them seem scary when they came out on the board and got in a room with your character. Love it. Yeah, and speaking of scary, one particular figure that I wanted to call out because it was just exceptional, it's the queen. Because if you look at it, it's just, oh, it's this big, ugly monster queen. But if you really look at it carefully, and I think Tim looked at this and was like, oh, that's disgusting. She's standing on top of this like box where there's all these little baby aliens crawling out of the box, and she's holding one of them in her hand. And it's like this grotesque, gnarly thing that just makes me want to freaking puke. And that is exciting. Well, from a freakishly horrific to a fantastical, crazy sort of air. I don't know. That was a horrible transition. But my number six is Wonderland's 
War. It's by Tim Eisner, Ben Eisner, and Ian Moss. Publisher is Druid City Games and Skybound Games. We've been talking a lot about this one lately. I think the chips and the bag pull, that just has a sense of like, it's like a bingo or something. You pull something out of this bag and you get this guy. <gasps> That's exactly the chip I wanted. It's going right here. And you get to slide him around, manipulate and upgrade your character. All that brings the fun for me. I really like the standees since they have the color associated with them as opposed to the gray uh, miniatures of the main characters. And then you've got just the board itself. It's this whimsical purple, these six or seven sections around the outside of it. There's this black and pink. The whole thing looks like this wild toy in the world of Alice in Wonderland. And it's just fun. It brings me tons of joy. Setting it up, playing this thing, manipulating those chips. It's fun. That's why it's my number six, Wonderland's War. Yeah, this is a great pick. And I'm glad you call out the standees because the minis obviously are great sculpted minis detailed but when they're not painted they kind of blend together a little bit but the standees have such great artwork on them and it and it brings about the conversation recently about the idea of using acrylic standees versus minis and i've started to see a couple of games use those and i really like how they look it gives it a little bit of that toy factor it makes them feel a little bit chunkier but you get the full artwork that the artist intended and and i i, I dig where that's going I, I love Wonderland's War, and this almost made my list. I'm going to actually start painting minis, and I'm going to try to paint these. And I, when they're painted, this probably would have been on my list. So uh, Wonderland's War is a great pick. And I think, you know, all the other things you said, that the chits pulling out of the bag, if you have the deluxe edition chips, not only are these chunky plastic things, but they have a little bit of a, like a foiling on the, the you know, the, the images that are printed on them. So everything about it just feels like a toy you're playing with. Great pick. Yep. And I'll just second what Tim said. Great choice. I completely agree. Thank you. All right, so I'm going to pick another Awaken Realms game after Chris picked for his number six, and this is The Great Wall. This is by Camille Sesla, Robert Plazowicz, and Tukas Warchik, again, by Awaken Realms. And this is a game that has a bunch of minis in it, and they're, they're beautiful little minis. This is about uh, defending China, so building The Great Wall and doing that. And The Great Wall itself is part of the toy factor. Now, when you're building the Great Wall, basically you're spending resources to build segments of this wall that will help protect against invaders. It will get you some points if you're uh, if you contribute to building those walls. But the walls are these big like cardboard components that you put together and then you stack on on top of each other. And everything about this just feels a little bit like a toy. You know, you're you've got these building blocks that you're using to make this wall, and then you've got these figures that you're standing on top of them or putting out on the invader cards to kind of to protect. So that the, the actions, even though it's really just a Euro game, the actions make you feel like you're playing with toys. And so I think this is a great example of how Toy Factor probably made the experience better for what was a fairly uh, average Euro game to me, but the Toy Factor did, did enhance it a little bit. I came so close to putting this one on my list, but I didn't because it ended up getting pushed out by the game that did end up being my number five, which is also by Awaken Realms. And I didn't want to completely overload my list with Awaken Realms, <laughs> even though I think for Toy Factor, in a lot of ways, they deserve it. But my number five was Tainted Grail, The Fall of Avalon, designed by Christoph Biskorski and Marcin Sverkat, and published by Awaken Realms Games, of course. This is another one that, like Nemesis, there's a lot of big pieces out there on the board. In this case, the board is a series of cards that get laid out on the table, each indicating a different location. But in part, one of the things that makes this so attractive to me as a Toy Factor game is that there are certain pieces 
that unlike Nemesis and unlike some of the other games are not necessarily interactive. There's these there's these giant characters or pieces. They're not actually characters. They're statues called Meneers. And they sit out on the board like these towering guardian, I don't know, angels, devils, demons, whatever they are, but they tell time. Each one has a little disc at the bottom. And the idea here is that the Meneers are these sort of torch-like things, sort of like a wicker man almost, that scare away the evil and they get they go out over time. And part of this game is all about relighting Meneers and kind of driving away this evil force called the weirdness that's taking over Avalon. And so regardless of what you're doing, you always have these big token, these big pieces, these big meneers out on the board. And these things, I mean, they're like three inches tall, four inches tall, maybe. They're gigantic, they're imposing, and they create a mood in this game that is absolutely unbelievably cool. I love macabre in games. These are incredibly macabre. And they just, they do so much for it. And again, make this game that is basically a bunch of cards laid out on a table, makes it feel like a giant toy. After that, you add in the character figures, which are super cool sculpts, all these weird monsters. There's a whole box of monsters called the Monsters of Avalon that are just this wacky looking collection of like gnarly things. And pretty soon you put enough of this stuff out on the table and it's like, Every kid's, I don't know, either dream or nightmare, but absolutely Awaken Realms knocked it out of the park on this one, which is why this is my number five game on the list. Yeah, Chris, I think some of the best miniatures in the business and some of the best artwork too, like you said, I that pulls me in. It makes me wonder what's going on in there and what are these guys doing out there? I want to know, I want to like grab these guys and walk around with them. Great pick, uh, Tainted Grail. Chris, you've managed to taint this list with Tainted Grail. A game that I have no interest in playing. Mm, bad. bad, bad one, Tim. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. My number five, I think we decided, is a game I've talked a lot about. This is Anachrony. It's by David Turksey, Richard Amon, and Victor Peter. And this is a Mind Clash game production. So first of all, you have the exosuits. And if you've ever... The standard ones are fine. They're gray. Because... You got this little character you can slot in there. They built in a little slot and you can put your guy in there and you're like, oh, this guy needs a suit so he can go do this thing. That makes total sense. But if you've ever seen these painted up, that looks absolutely amazing. Just adds that next level to it. Uh, so eventually you're going to have, I don't know how many exosuits out there on the planet. You know, your worker placement spots, you're going to look out and you're going to see six, seven different exosuits out there, different players, different varieties of these things out there doing work to save their little faction not only that but then you've got the metal resources you know if you're twitchy like me you want to have these things over in your hand and kind of lift them up put them back down lift them up put them back down hmm how am i going to use these maybe i'll just hold them because they're so pleasant i don't want to spend them i just want to keep holding them the whole game uh not the best strategy but absolutely one of my favorite toy factor in games that's an acrony. Yeah, this is a great pick, and it would have been on my list if Adam didn't have it there. And it's just that. It's like, not only are they great minis for the little exosuits, but you're slotting your little workers into them. What a great way to make to bring toy into worker placement. Anachrony is a great example of Toy Factor. And you forgot to mention the Fractures of Time ex uh, expansion with the upgraded components for that that are these great little like black crystals that look like they're in a little case or something like that one of the coolest components I've seen in any board game. So Anachrony is a great example of Toy Factor. 
Yeah, and I got to say, I even beyond just the size and the heft of these things, I think that the sculpts on these exosuits are probably some of the coolest, most distinctive sculpts I've seen in any game of any type. It's like, as soon as you say anachrony to me, my mind immediately jumps to these kind of weird, I don't even know how to describe them. You just have to look at the pictures, these weird exosuits. And it just, it puts me immediately in mind of this game. It's incredibly cool. So my number five game is a game called Takenu Obelisk of the Sun by Daniel Tashini and David Turksey, who also designed Anachrony. So David Turksey's high on the list here. This was uh, published by Board and Dice. Takenu Obelisk of the Sun is a dry Euro and it's a, it's a dice worker. It's a dice drafting game. A um, lot of stuff going on here. Really cool game, though. But what brings the toy factor is in the middle of this big board and all these cardboard shits and cardboard and everything is this super tall obelisk that stands in the middle of the game, this big plastic obelisk. And essentially what it does, it represents the um, the, the the where the sun is hitting and, and the, the shade and the shadow that's happening in the game. So as you rotate this thing around, it puts the dice in different spaces of either light or darkness. And that represents corruption or light and kind of changes how the dice work. Um, and it's a completely unnecessary component, but it's a really fun component. It's got great table presence. It's fun to have this big thing in the middle of the board. And then when the round ends, you, you shift it just a little bit so that it's aiming at a different space and gives shadow to the game. Uh, really cool toy factor in what otherwise would be a really dry Euro. And I thought they did a great job of adding a little bit of a, a component touch that made this game stand out. I remember you talking about this one, I think, on one of our episodes not too long ago, Tim, and looking at the picture. And it's a really good example of how you can go from, instead of covering the board with big toys, having one significant toy can really be a good way to go and have an impact. This one looks beautiful. I think that's one you would see from across the room and be like, oh my goodness, what is going on over there? It's got this very neutral toned player mat and actual board for the board game. And then it's surrounded by these vibrant colors. You got these sky blues and these Easter pinks and some purples and some reds and it, they all just pop right off the board. So yeah, Tim, this one, I would want to play it just because of how it looks in that giant obelisk right in the middle there. So speaking of games that have many, 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 many pieces on them, many big uh, toys, this is the third of my trilogy of lots of toys on the board. And my number four is Blood Rage by Eric M. Lang and published by Simon Games. Another one that should be no surprise to anybody who's heard us talk about games, this is a favorite of, I think, at least a few of us. And it also has some of the greatest minis that I've seen. They are so, for all the way from the three different sculpts that each character, each player has. The leader, the boats, the warriors. Those are great. But really where this game shines is on the monsters. Especially if you have the expansion monsters. Because... They are just drawn straight from Norse mythology, and they are so cool. They are grotesque. They're dramatic. They're mostly pretty huge. There are a few small ones there, but most of them are just gargantuan, and you just want to put your little disc on the bottom of them and make them yours, and then put them out on the board and then just wreak havoc with them. But this is another game where you just start putting these things out on the board, and eventually it's like you have this gigantic 
toy fest happening out there. And this one I think I put at the top of my list of those three because for one, it's just such a great game. I enjoy it so much. And two, because the variety and the quality of the minis are just absolutely outstanding. They're just so much fun to look at. I want to spend the time when I have this game on the table just looking at these minis as much as I do play in the game. And that says a lot about Toy Factor. Chris maybe said it. Is this a, a CMON or Come On Games production? It is. Yeah, they're they're known for their minis. And man, I don't think I've ever played this one in person. I played it on uh, Board Game Arena many times, maybe once, but I don't even think so. So yeah, I want to get this one, actually, the physical production so I can play with these big old giant Viking dolls. I'm bringing it to the next BGHT con, so prep yourself, dude. Great. Blood Rage is a great example of Toy Factor, and I, I love that you do get to put those colored rings on the pieces. It makes them stand out that they're your components, It does, and it gives you something else to play with you. When you take it, you get to actually like interact with that piece. Something I think Wonderland's War is missing and is a little bit of a deficit for their uh, their, their minis. I want to point out one other thing about this game, though, and that is that sometimes a flaw, a bad component in a game can actually bring it some charm. Chris got Blood Rage about four or five years ago, and we played dozens of games on it. And what I always think about when I think of Chris's uh, production of, of Blood Rage is that the brown faction, I think it's the wolf faction, but his brown faction, his little ship in there, the sail on it is purple, and it always pops off. It never stays on. So he's got this little broken ship that doesn't match the color, and every time you pick it up, it, the, the ship just falls on the ground. But I just love playing with that little ship now because we've, we've played with it so long. It's got a, a very distinct feel to playing with that faction that the other factions don't have. So sometimes you just got to make the best out of when you, when you get a little bit of a bad piece in a game. Even the best toys break sometimes. The little defective toys sometimes make like the coolest stories. You can like tell us, oh, like this guy, he got wounded like you know three years ago in battle, but he's still hanging in there. So that's always that's always fun when that happens. Anyway, my number four toy factor game is Star Wars Rebellion. This is Corey Koniska and Fantasy Flight Games. You open this box up, you see all the familiar faces, all the familiar ships from the Star Wars trilogy. You got the Death Star, you got all your X-Wings, you got the TIE Fighters, you got TIE Interceptors, TIE Interdictors, you got the little things from the the Hoth, is it Hoth, the Snow Speeder guys that are trying to wrap their ropes around that At-Ats or the uh, Imperial Walkers, whatever they're called. You got At-Ats and you got Imperial Walkers in this game. You got those little things that are shooting the ion cans. You got the ion, every little thing you can think of from Star Wars is in here. And you get to play with all of them. You get to put them on planets. So that's that. That's for the miniatures. Tim, you mentioned the standees. I got an add-on that puts acrylic casing around these standees and adds some nice heft to them. I couldn't agree more. All you need is these acrylic guys with some beautiful art. Or even like the, you know, the cardboard guys with this little case around it. It makes us this chunky, hefty character that you get to put out there on the map boom luke skywalker is coming here it's not even regular luke skywalker it's upgraded force luke, jedi luke skywalker he's gonna come over he's gonna jack you up he's gonna roll some dice and do some crazy stuff what a fun game for me the toy factor is a large part of that that star wars rebellion the minis are great and it's a great toy factor they really remind you of of the the you know original trilogy of movies and and all of the the ships and characters and stuff in there but i love when you're building ships or units or whatever and they go on this little track 
And so when you build it, it doesn't get built immediately, but every round the track kind of moves down. And sometimes yeah. you'll have a really good round where you build a bunch of stuff. And three rounds later, all of a sudden you'll have like this whole handful of minis drop off the edge of the board and you get to place them all over the place. It's, it's such a fun experience. Great toy factor in this game. I just wish they were a little bit larger. That's the only complaint I have. Yeah, that's what she said. They're small. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. Check, please. <laughs> All right, well, my number four game is Everdell by James Wilson and Starling Games. Um, Everdell is, is, a, is a really interesting example of Toy Factor because obviously it's got this huge table presence with this huge cardboard tree in the middle of the table, and that is Toy Factor. And in fact, I've upgraded my cardboard tree to this, be this like balsa wood tree that is beautifully painted and vibrant and colorful, and it's great. And it's great because the tree does a couple things. It holds your meeples up there that are going to be released in future seasons, and it holds the, the um, you know, there's like a big space in the middle to put this huge stack of cards when you're drawing out. You're not just drawing off a stack. You're pulling them out of this tree in the middle. It's so cool, except it gets in the way of the gameplay. It stops you from being able to play the game well, especially when you have more than two players. So that's a bit of a fail, but also pretty cool. But the game brings Toy Factor in so many other ways. It's got so many different little sculpts of minis to represent the little woodland creatures that you're playing with. And I love playing with my little lizards or my axolotl minis or my, you know, the foxes. My wife loves to be the owls. My daughter has to be the, the squirrels. It's like everybody has their little toy they want to play with during this game. So it took what would otherwise just be a simple little worker placement meeple and made it fun. But then you got the components. The resource components in this game are the best resource components in any game. Little wood sticks are these literally wood sticks. The stones are these little rounded pebbles that feel like little stones. I don't even know what they're made out of, but they feel like stones. The resin is this little acrylic component. And then you've got these berries, which are squishy. They're these little pink things that squish and feel like you could just put them in your mouth and juice would start dripping out of them. Great toy factor in this game for what otherwise is a Euro game. Andrew Bosley's artwork adds to that. It makes it just a charming place to exist in, and all of these components add to that feeling of being in a happy place. And that's one of the reasons why this is one of my favorite games. I got to try that one again. So I don't, I don't remember the pieces. I have to, I have to, I have to see it. I think I played this one once in real life, Tim, and I with the berries, I didn't want to stop squeezing them, man. I picked them up, squeeze, 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 <laughs> squeeze and then I was like, oh, look at these rocks, though. Now I want to clank some of those together. It's almost meditative. They're like river rocks, beach stones that have been weathered down, and they're so smooth, and they have that shine on them. And we were joking. It was funny. You mentioned the tree. We mentioned, like, Toy Factor gone wrong. That, that tree could have been in the Toy Factor gone wrong category. But yeah, all those little components, the resources that make up for it so much. And then nice shout out to the axolotl. That's uh, gaining popularity in my house at the moment. There's a lot of little axolotl uh, stuffies and toys being purchased around here. So that must be uh, something said for the toy factor there. Well, while Adam's squeezing berries, I'm going to move on to the top three. And my top three are ones where I think I can say confidently that all three of them are ones where you not only have an exceptionally high toy factor, but an exceptionally high level of integration into the gameplay in a way that nothing feels tacked on. It is all straight up awesome. So my number three is Fossilis, designed by David Alberto Diaz and published by Kids Table Board Gaming. This is one that feels so much to me like a game straight out of the 80s. It feels like Don't Break the Ice in so many of these Toy Factor games that I grew up with. And this one's not even by Restoration Games. This is actually a new game. But for those who have not played it, there is this 
big, chunky plastic set of tiles that represent various types of dirt, soil, clay that you might dig through at an excavation site for a paleontologist. And they're all piled up in this really uneven way like terrain might be on top of this board. And underneath those are these really cool little spots where you have you have holes that hold dinosaur bones or tools or other cool things that a paleontologist might find useful or might be looking for. It's all 3D. It all stacks up nicely, and you're moving your characters around this three-dimensional board. You're trying to pick up the bones and things out from underneath the clay and the dirt, digging through them, trying to build dinosaur skeletons to make big points and get combos and, and set collection and all this other stuff. It feels so integrated into the game because I can't picture how you would do this game without all the toys. And that's really, I think, when Toy Factor is really successful is when it is also an integral part of the game. I mean, I suppose in this game you could maybe take some cards and stack them one card on top of the other so that you draw a card and what's underneath it is the, the, type, of, uh, the type of item that you might find once you excavate. But that just wouldn't be the same. That just wouldn't be fun. But the way this game is designed, it's so much fun moving your character onto a spot, picking up the tile, seeing what's underneath it, and then taking these little tweezers, these cool little tweezers, and digging that piece out. Again, it feels like you're playing Operation. So such a great, such a great opportunity to, to you know, mesh the toy into the game. And it's a really fun game too. Relatively medium to lightweight, more of a family weight game, but I still have so much fun every time this game comes out. And a big part of that is the toys that you get to play with when you do. Yeah, Chris, this is one of the things that drew me into this game as well. I'm also owner of Fossilis. And first you got the, you mentioned it, the tiles are kind of the star of the show and it's a dig site. How cool is that? It's already a toy to begin with. So you're sliding these things around. You mentioned the tweezers. I love going in there and you get to pull out the the T-Rex skull or whatever it is. And you're like, ha ha, I got the, that, how cool is that? You get to excavate dino bones. That's like every kid's little dream there. And then I don't know if you mentioned the the cards themselves. It's kind of a cartoony but realistic art for the dino cards themselves. And I think you got to pick one of the dinos or something too, Chris. So that's what a fun Kickstarter. What a fun game, uh, Fossilis. Great pick, Chris. Yeah, and, and very fun family weight game. I had a chance to play this with Chris one time, and it do, it definitely feels like you're playing with toys in a, in a clever little you know again family weight game. Not something I I'm gonna go back to all the time, but uh, but it's got a fun little game with all the toys. So good pick. My number three game is Voidfall, designed by David Turksey, Nigel Buckle. Those names have been mentioned a couple times. And the art here, I gotta mention the artist, Ian O'Toole. So this is again ships on stands. That theme is persisting. And that's what you have here. You have like five or six different ships on stands. And also you have the enemy ships, the I think it's the void ships that are also on stands. Those guys are cruising around. So not just that. But you also have these faction boards. And what do you do with these things? You slot in one of, I don't know how many different factions, but boom, you grab this. It's like a mechanical toy. You grab this giant card, you slide it in there, and that shows you all the different tracks for that faction over on the right, in addition to this beautiful picture of the faction that you've chosen. That's displayed nicely in a little frame and in this dual layer player board. And then you can slot cards in the top too. So 
the player board here I think is amazing. All these different slots for all these different cards. It's a functional thing and it's just, you know, a fun sensory thing as well to be able to slot all these cards in. It's just so pleasing, so fun. I didn't even mention the the metal tokens again that are typical of a Mind Clash game. Looking forward to getting this one played again. We played it on TTS. Can't wait to get this one on the actual table and start tinkering with some of these things in my hands. Again, the the sensory effect. Yeah, I can't wait to play with this one also. The components look awesome. Taking this 4X Euro style game and adding these big minis out there to give it a sense of presence and and space. Um, the meta, there, there were upgrades for some of the tokens that are like these little metal tokens. Everything seems like it's going to be really tactile here. I uh, can't wait to play with it. And, the, and I think you mentioned, Adam, but the some of the minis, especially the Void Fallen minis, are like dual colored. So it's like gray with the orange tentacles coming out of them. That's such a cool toy in this game. Yep. Having only played this one online, I can only drool thinking about how these are going to look when we actually get them in our hands. So I'm really excited to get this one delivered. All right. So my number three is a come on game. Come on has been mentioned here today already, but probably less than it could have been. Um, this game that I'm going to talk about is Cthulhu Death May Die. Now, Kaman's known for their minis. In fact, the name of the company was originally Cool Mini or Not, and they were before they were a company making games, they were a company that was just judging minis. They were just like a, a, a blog that was like judging minis and doing you know mini contests and stuff like that, and they decided to start making their own minis. So that's what the company's all about. And Cthulhu Death May Die is no exception here. It's a great set of minis. Just like Nemesis, I think the scale of the minis when you're playing this cooperative game where you're trying to uh, you know, basically investigate these these crazy happenings. Then these big monsters pop out, and it just adds to the sense of moment in the game and excitement when you see the great old one that you're playing in that game move up this little track every time that the cards come up wrong, and you know it's a little bit closer to being summoned and start attacking you. Um, add some tension to the game. And then when the great old one comes out on the board and you're fighting it, and it's just like you fight it and you finally defeat it, except then you flip over another card and you've got to fight it again. You've got to do that four times and it just feels like it'll never end. So the minis add to that tension and the scale and the excitement of the game. But the reason I specifically picked this one, because I could have mentioned any number of come on games. I could have mentioned the new Marvel Zombies game that has a huge toy Galactus that you can turn from a zombie to a, to a regular Galactus. It, I, I could have mentioned the, the new He-Man uh, Masters of the Universe campaign that they did last year that, oh my gosh, it reminded me so much of all the toys I had when I was a kid because they had all the original characters basically in the original sculpts of all those old He-Man toys. But the reason I mentioned this one was because this one was groundbreaking when this game came out. Um, and by the way, I don't know if I mentioned, but it was by Eric Lang and Rob Davio. But when this came out, this campaign came out, one of the add-ons you could get was a final scenario for the game that was about a two-foot-tall Cthulhu model. And this model was supposed to actually represent the board, that you think basically the game board that you played in that game. And it was just massive. It was like the pictures they took of it was like it sitting next to a, a human baby. And it was the same size. <laughs> and I've seen there's a local game store by me that has this in their front window and somebody fully painted it. And it's just this amazing, huge, detailed mini. And I think the original pledge for it was like $299. If you were, if you were an early pledger, you could get it for $300. And I remember telling Chris about this campaign. It was like he was just getting into games like, Chris, I think you might like this game. And he's like, oh, I think I'm going to back it. And I'm like, don't get that Cthulhu mini. And I'm beating myself up for it because I wish I had that Cthulhu mini because it's such a fun game. And I just want to know how does that add into it? And I'll probably never know. Uh, so Cthulhu Death May Die is just such a great example of toy factor in games. Maybe excessive, maybe over the top, maybe unnecessary. 
but a lot of toy in that game. Don't buy the two-foot Cthulhu model. Worst advice ever. Thanks for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Great minis. At least one more Come On game coming up. So for my number two, I'm going with a game that is a little more subtle in terms of the actual toy factor, but not smaller in terms of how awesomely the toy is incorporated into the game. My number two is Sulkin the Mayan Calendar, designed by Simone Luciani and Daniel Tashini and published by Czech Games Edition. Now, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of detail on the gameplay mechanisms here because I've talked about this game so much, you guys have probably all heard it a million times. But the basis is you have these giant, chunky gears that make up the mine calendar, and you place your workers on them, and then you turn the gears each round, and as one gear turns, the main gear, all the other gears turn along with it. And they rotate those workers around, and when you pull off a worker, whichever action spot it happens to be next to is the action that you get to take. So the rotation of the gears is what dictates the action. Now, I will confess that at first, this is a game where I thought the toy may have been a little bit of a gimmick. It's a worker placement game. What's up with these big plastic gears? But the reality is, it is so satisfying turning those gears that, I mean, I can't even tell you. We played this game at uh, BGHTCon recently, and Tim kept wanting to touch the gears. He kept wanting to turn it. And I'm like, no, you can't. (laughs) They're my gears. It's my game. I'm going to turn the damn gears. And it means so much because I suppose you could have just had characters or workers that move around a rondelle and you move them manually. And that would have worked from a gameplay mechanism standpoint. But in reality, it's turning those big, chunky gears. It feels so good in your hand and watching the big gear turn and all the other little gears turning along with it. That is absolutely wonderful. It makes the game. I I will probably say this is one game where the toy actually does make the game. Not saying it wouldn't be a great game without it, but it certainly wouldn't be the same game it is now. Yeah, Chris, the gears here are an absolutely thrilling part of this game to watch those things turn and rotate. You can see how your guy is going to go around. And what is it? It's the Mayan calendars on the big central gear, which is freaking cool as well. I'm horrible at this game. Uh, proving that once again on Board Game Arena right now, but I want to get good at it. I think my problem is I need I don't know what the iconography is. I just been like I'll do this one. I don't know. It's probably good. <laughs> I should probably learn what the iconography is and the buildings. I never know what each any of the buildings do. I'm like, well, this one costs the most. So I guess I'll buy this one, and then I don't get like anything for it because it was like for someone with a totally different strategy than than see what happens when your character gets here and pull it off the board. Anyway, great toy fractor. What a fun game, uh, Zulkin, my encounter. I'm just glad that in uh, the long con, in BGHT con Long Beach in a couple months, I'm bringing my copy of Zulkin and you're not touching my damn (laughs) Fair enough. All right. My number two game, as I foreshadowed earlier, is Ankh, Gods of Egypt. This is another Simon game or Come On game designed by Eric Lang. And this one is the gods of Egypt. You got these giant miniatures. Also, you got some monsters, some ancient Egyptian mythical monsters in miniature form as well. So not only do you have these 
these monsters that are beautiful minis, but you have the gods. They're all different colored, which I appreciate. So you have like the blue team and the green team and the red team, and all their followers are different sculpts too. And they're amazing. They're absolutely amazing. Sarah got a hold of these. She's like, oh my gosh, these are stunning. She had seen sculpts from other games that have Wonderland's War and this and that. And she's like, these are simply beautiful. You look at these, the detail is just insane. And it's made out of a a bit of a different plastic than a lot of other board games use for their miniatures. These ones are like a stiffer, more rigid plastic. So they can do those fine details, those kind of skinnier, thinner details. And this plastic is, is hard. It's not going to break. It's an extra quality up. So you can tell that the quality is there. Now the base game comes with... Uh, at least the version I have, just these 2D chits for the obelisks and the, there's three different types of monuments. I forget their names right now, but I went ahead and bought the, an upgrade pack. And now, you know, I, apparently I love slotting things into things because now you can slot your little tokens into these different monuments and it's super visible about who controls which monument on the board. So how fun is that for a toy? And then the map is amazing to me, too. You look around, you see all these different little Easter eggs. It's like dollar bill line work, this very thin lithograph kind of line work all around the edge of the board and all over the terrain for this map. So the whole production is just fantastically beautiful to me, including, and maybe more than anything, the toy factor. Also, this is one of my favorite games, Rapidly Rising, in my in my favorite game. I played it at two the other night, and it was just fantastic every one of us had to have a game full of minis but you know i'm, I'm actually really excited to play Ankh again we played it one time uh, i've only played it one time on tabletop simulator with you guys when we did our review of it i'm really excited to get this back to the table so this is one of my top bgh tcon uh need to play games so i'm excited for it chris ready to merge <laughs> the more we've moved away from that the more i want to play this game In Part of it is because this is such an epic production. Lots of great gameplay elements, too. A couple I didn't love so much, but I, I really want to get this one on the table, too. I'm really looking forward to it. And that was Ankh. We haven't said the name in a while. All right. My number two is a family weight game. This is Camel Up 2nd Edition. Camel Up 2nd Edition is just full of toys. From the moment that you unfold the, the game board and there's like pop-up palm trees. So it's like in a pop-up book where there's like palm trees and tents that show up on the board. So it gives it a little 3D element. And then you plop down right in the middle of the board this pyramid, this big plastic pyramid. And this pyramid is basically your dice tower. So when you take the dice that you're going to use to pick which, which camels are coming and moving around the board, which you're betting on, but you pop the dice in this tower, you shake it up, and then you press a little button on the side and one of the dice pops out. And so it's this exciting moment moment whenever somebody gets to pick a dice out you know it's, it's like pop oh it's the red one so that's really exciting and, and you know feels like you're playing with this big toy but then the camels themselves are these big chunky almost rubbery kind of plastic pieces that stack on top of each other they're bright vibrant colors they feel like big huge like erasers or something from when I was a kid everything about this game reminds me of playing with toys even the coins which should have been cardboard for a game of this cost and and you know the kind of the the, the weight of it and everything they're they're these you know kind of plastic components that feel like a toy that you play with in a again with like a bank you know when you were a kid growing up a little cash register or something like that so everything about this feels like a toy and it's even a clever game it's a fun family weight game where there's exciting moments and you're betting on these camels moving around this track Camel Up 2nd Edition is a great example of Toy Factor used well in a game. Now I'm looking at some pictures, Tim. Does, is there also a giant 
palm tree situation that looks like you parked that on the side of the board and gives it some uh, more dimension to it? The, the palm tree, the only one that I am aware of in, in the in the edition I've got is, like I said, it's like a pop-up. So like you open up the okay. board and the, the, the palm tree just pops up. So it's this big cardboard tree, but it just, it does, it adds some presence to the game. It's fun. Man, ever since I think I heard Jen talk about it on one of the episodes, I've looked at it. I've been wanting to play this game. Sorry, Chris, I went out of order, I think, but this game looks amazing to me. <laughs> yeah, I remember Jen talking about it, too, and it caught my attention then just because, for one, it has a really weird name, Camel Up. I'm not sure what that means. Maybe that's like one camel on top of another. Is that where the Camel Up comes from? I don't know, but it's funny because the first edition of this game, that the font on the front was so bad where it was like, camel and the up was right underneath the, the other letters but the c was huge so people called it camel cup for years the second edition clarified that by separating it and that is definitely camel up because it's a race right you're trying to win the camel cup that's right like i want to be the champion <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly all right well it's been a long strange trip but here we are at number one and honestly this one was kind of a no-brainer to me i could not imagine not having as number one on my toy factor game list Return to Dark Tower, designed by Tim Burrell Sward, Isaac Childress, Noah Cohen, Rob Davio, Justin Jacobson, and Brian Neff, and published by Restoration Games. This being Restoration Games' second appearance on my list. So, this is a game where the toy is so central to everything that happens in this game that it had to be rated highly, and it does it so successfully. It's probably the most impactful toy I can imagine in a game, with the possible exception of the giant two-foot-tall Cthulhu mini that I don't actually own. But here, at least, we've got a giant two-foot-tall dark tower. And this thing is so cool. It's imposing. It towers, literally, over the game board. You've got electronics. You've got beeps and boops. This thing <laughs> is dropping little plastic skulls all over the board. It's making noises. It's lighting up these glyphs that make it more challenging to do a particular action in a particular area. There's so much stuff that this tower does that I can't imagine having this game without the toy that is central to it, the Dark Tower. And that's not all there is. There's also a great collection of minis. All the player minis are really cool looking. There are exceptionally good sculpts in all the monster minis. There are some of those that are absolutely top-notch. I love them. They're giant, they're exciting, and they really kind of keep with the whole vibe of the Dark Tower. And then that's not even to mention the third factor here that really creates the right mood and the toy factor, and that is the app that's associated with this game. Actually, when we did our BGHT Con recap where we talked about Return to Dark Tower, Tim made a good point about how well this app integrates with the game. And it does so many little things. It creates a dungeon video game thing almost. It creates a soundtrack that you're playing your game to. It's not exactly a toy, but man, it's like a video game. What could be better than that? I mean, talk about a toy factor. You put all this stuff together and you've got Return to Dark Tower, and with all of that toy firepower going on, I couldn't not put this as my number one on the list. Yeah, for me, Chris, I think you're right. This is the the king of toy factory games that we've talked about so far that that I've ever seen. This giant towers is the star of the show, and it's a toy. It's there's you can't argue. This thing is just a toy. It freaking makes noises. Does it light up? I don't know. She's dropping stuff in there. It's spitting stuff out. How cool is that? You look at it and there's nothing you can say, but yeah, I want to play with that toy. 
It's a toy for sure. Okay. El- eloquent as ever. Tim's man of brief <laughs> brevity tonight. Brief brevity. <laughs> All right. My number one Toys Factory game is Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy. I'm a little bit biased because I love the game so much. But you open the box. Uh, well, before you even open the box, you go to this tube thing. You open this little tube. It looks like a yoga mat. Is that a yoga mat in there? No. It's a giant neoprene mat of the galaxy. You're going to lay that out on the on the board game table before anything. Then you open up the box. You start dishing out these different factions. You've got these, these beautiful containers, self-contained ships and production circles. And you've got all kinds of rotisserie phone dials on the front of these things that you're tracking your production with. It's just a blast. You're putting these ships on stands. I've got the ship wash for these things. So you're like, ooh, I just built a cruiser. Boop, put that in the stand, put it out there. Ooh, I just built a dreadnought. Put that in the stand, put it out there. Additionally, you've got the hex tiles that have these little tiny planets on them. They look kind of boring. Then all of a sudden you're studying those. A little bit of UV flash coating, a little bit of extra blingy shine on these mm-hmm. different planets. Oh, my gosh. It keeps going and going. The toy factor here is rampant. And then in the middle, you've got this crusty, old, but fearsome, it's not a Death Star, it's the Galactic Central Defense System. I think I got that right. You mean the Death Star. I can't wait to play this game. I love the gameplay. I also love the toy factor. And they just announced four new factions coming for this game uh, in an upcoming expansion. So I can't wait to get a hold of those. As well, each of those is going to have different unique ships and a wash option available. Keep your eye out if you're interested in this game. That's Eclipse Second Dawn. That was breaking news for me, and that's actually really exciting because we played this game so many times, and I, I like it, and I like the factions in it, but it'll be so much fun to explore some new factions, so that's really cool. But the one, I think it's the black faction, whatever the, the black ships are, but they're sculpts for the uh, their big dreadnoughts, which are these just big, huge, square, like Borg-looking ships are so awesome and and adam's like sun washed minis in that game uh so much fun to handle and that big gdc s or whatever it is in the middle that huge massive globe thing in the middle it's it is one of the coolest toys in any board game so this is a, this is an awesome pick Thanks. adam and I, you know you guys both had really amazing picks <laughs> yeah you guys had amazing picks for your for for your number one and i don't know how i'm gonna beat it i'm gonna beat it but i don't know how i'm gonna do it mm. well let's hear it man so my number one Toy Factor game of all time is Dwellings of Eldervale. This is uh, this was published by Breaking Games, and the designer was Luke Laurie. Now listen, we've talked about a lot of games with minis in it, but here's where the Toy Factor comes in and where it's going to bring all the kids to the yard. And that is that the minute that you put one of these minis out on the middle of the board, it literally roars out loud. Each of the, each of the huge monsters has a different voice, a different sound box in it. This game has Toy Factor. It's a decent game, too. It's a pretty fun mix of Euro and kind of Amerithrash combat, dice-rolling combat systems. Beautiful card art throughout here, but you've got to give a little praise to sound bases on these monster minis. It makes it feel like a toy that you're playing with. And I'm telling you, I have a lot of kids running around my house all the time. You can thank Jen for that, all her kids around here. When this game has been on our table, kids' hands were all over it. The minute we left the room... Kids are picking it up. You can hear the roaring from the other room. This game has Toy Factor. Sorry, and one other thing I didn't mention about these minis, too, is that each of these huge monsters represents a different element, you know, like, you know, air, earth, 
fire, water, death, or whatever. And each of them are pre-colored plastic, and they were washed plastic minis of the color that they were. So you had like these eight different colors of minis, and then two two different ones in each color. Um, so really beautiful minis. But the sound base obviously was the thing for me. But yeah, lots of, lots of great toy factor in this game for me. You know it's a toy if it has a battery that's going to run out at some point. It's going to be like, ah, ah, oh, <laughs> and it's going to sog down. Totally. That's totally a toy. And, you know, if a 10-year-old's playing with this game, he's going to get so sad. My monster isn't working anymore. Um, so that's funny, I think. And then I thought the resources were pretty cool for this, too, Tim. You got them all in the shape of what they're supposed to be, the daggers and the gems and little scrolls and bottles and stuff. Reminds me of, like... Um, Stuff you might find in Zelda, I think it was, where he had, or maybe Castlevania is what I'm thinking of, jewels and these little ink bottles that he would throw out. Yeah, it's very Castlevania-like, I think. Um, so that was fun for me, too, when we played this one, the little resources here. All right, cool. Well, that wraps up our top 10 list of games with Toy Factor. It's been a long episode, but let me just ask you guys one question. Anything that you were surprised didn't show up? Because there's one that I'm really shocked didn't make it on, this, on these lists. So did you guys have any surprises? No, if anything, I thought there was going to be more overlap on our lists, and I'm impressed that we didn't do that. So I'm kind of curious to know which one it is that um, you're thinking of. Yeah, with Chris, this was a stretch for me to try and even get 10. I had to talk you guys into baseball highlights, and then, uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe maybe do an Imperium with the the minis for that one that we like the game so much. I don't know if that's what you're thinking, or, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Tim. Rising Sun? Are you going to say Rising Sun? No. No, it was Chris. I can't believe I can't believe Chris didn't mention Cthulhu Wars with these with the the, the largest minis in the history of board games. These monster things that are like glued together because they're so big they couldn't even they couldn't even manufacture them in one piece of plastic. I, I can't believe Chris didn't mention it. Oh, or they can't even afford to max- manufacture them oh. anymore for all the backers that are <laughs> is that waiting. What it is? Chris and probably <laughs> and probably not gonna get. There's a good chance that no backer will get their Demon Sultan or Cthulhu War stuff. That's why Chris didn't mention it. He's just it's he's bitter. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm okay. so over Peterson games right now. But you know, and, and beside that, beside just being over Peterson games right now, there is a I'm this is gonna sound ridiculous talking about Cthulhu, but there is a a lack of subtlety. In in those minis, that I I guess you know when we're talking about Toy Factor, really that's kind of beside the point. But I don't find those minis as impactful as some of the other ones from the other games, and so I I had to rate the others higher. And I, you know it it I, I struggle with that one a little bit. But in the end, I had to give the nod to the games that made the list, and Cthulhu Wars just. Just didn't make it. Well, Chris, you you constantly surprise me. So thanks for doing it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that will wrap up this episode of Board Game Hot Takes after I read some really nice reviews from some listeners that left them this week. And um, if you really like the show, we would love it if you would rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. Apple Podcasts is the one that I always see the ratings for. So we love it when we hear these. Now, this is a special week because we had three different written reviews all in one week. This is a new record for us. And I want to challenge you listeners. Do you think we could get four in one week? I don't know. I don't think we could, I don't think we could pull it off. I don't think our listeners are, are loyal enough to give us four ratings in one week, but 
even if they're mediocre, let us have it. <laughs> give us some, me- give us some mediocrity. Adam's voice is a little crusty. So. We're not good enough to get four reviews in a week. Come on, man. Who, who are we, Chris? Chris, who do you don't, think we don't are? Don't talk like that. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we're good enough to get three though, because we did this week. So let me just read these out really quickly. The first one was from Drasfor in the U.S. and. The headline was Great Chemistry. He said, Love the interaction between the three hosts plus the informed and entertaining content. Thank you, Draftsport. That was really nice to hear. Um, I like chemistry. I was not very good at it in high school, but chemistry is good. All right. My goodness. And the second one was by. My goodness. <laughs> I was this. I'm sorry, guys. It's late. Uh, the second one was by London Pod Fan via Apple Podcasts. This is from Great Britain, so we got a we got a, a friend across the ocean, across the Atlantic Ocean. There, uh, so excellent podcast for board gamers was the was the title, and they said hosts are a pleasure to listen to and always have something interesting to say about each game. Thank you, London Pod fan. Glad to have you here from London. All right, and then this is the longest of the group. This is from MGS seventy two from the US, and they said excellent. Easily my favorite board game podcast. Well thought out, clear and concise opinions, constructive and respectful tone without the need for yelling or unnecessary expletives. Great sound quality. Sorry for this week, everybody. I'm in a new, and I'm in a, I'm in a place with a big open room. I probably have some echo. Apologize for that. No commercial bias. For as long as they keep releasing episodes, I'll listen to them. That is so awesome to hear. And if we keep getting reviews, we'll keep releasing episodes. So if we get four this week, that's another year right there for sure. Thank you guys. <laughs> really love this. Love this. Yeah. Thank you so much. Everybody who leaves us reviews, who interacts with us. I wanted to call out, I was actually um, on my first live stream on Twitch last night. Um, so this will be about a week from when this episode drops with uh, uh, Eclectic Camel. Um, David is a, is a guy who runs a streaming channel and he invited me and, and uh, Mr. Rao, um, Ryan from Mr. Rao's Gaming Rants and Reviews on to play Great Western Trail and we just streamed this game. And it was so fun because it's the three of us that have our own channels, our own platforms. And I jumped on there and a whole bunch of Board Game Hot Takes fans jumped in, into the chat, chatted with us, made me laugh throughout the episode. It was so much fun to see our fans interacting with our listeners, our friends interacting with us out there. Thank you guys so much. You really made my night last night. And to all of you who left reviews, you made my night tonight. So thank you all for being a part of this show. We love you. Until next week, take care, everybody. Good night, all. Bye-bye. Does BHD does BHGD be back? COVID's eating your brain out, man. That's staying in.